Good morning, everybody. My name is Nick, and I want to say that it is truly an honor and a privilege to be able to speak God's word to everybody here this morning. And so I thank you all. And if you would please uh, stand with me as I read from Psalm 24. <clears throat> the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Would remain standing as we pray? Lord, we worship you. It's all about you, Lord. You are the Lord of glory. You are the one whom we are here gathered to gaze our eyes upon, Lord. Thank you for being here. Lord, we praise you and worship you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Psalms teach us the language of faith. We're on this long series of talking about the Psalms as they come one by one each week. And has anybody ever had a song get in their head like all day? And usually it's kind of a bad thing. You got this like weird little commercial song in your head. But sometimes a good song will get stuck in your head. And I want to say that getting the Psalms stuck in your head is a wonderful thing. If you've had a song stuck in your head, like a good song, like say you're working all day and just this good uplifting song is in your head, it just lends to a better day. I think about songs of praise if you get a song of praise stuck in your head then all day you're just remembering the Lord and his goodness and I hope that Psalm 24 will get stuck in your heads today in a good way this psalm is a quintessential psalm this psalm is not a lament psalm it's not a psalm about slaying your enemies it is a psalm of praise a quintessential psalm and you can tell in this psalm as we look at it and, and get into this text, it goes back and forth. There's a formula to it. Some might use the word liturgical. You can tell that it kind of goes back and forth between who's asking a question. Who's the king of glory? And then the answer, the Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. And it goes back and forth. It's singy-songy. It's a wonderful psalm. All of the, the scholars, commentators on this psalm that I've looked at this week say that this psalm was probably the song sung as people were heading to Jerusalem in pilgrimage, going to worship the Lord, going up to Mount Zion on Jerusalem, going to worship him. And that just brings back for me great stories and great memories of, of every year. Uh, some of you will know what I'm talking about. I was the college pastor at New Life North for years and years and years. And for so many years, every fall we would go on, it was called the Mill Fall Retreat. Anybody? Anybody? 
I see Andrew in the back. Erica, Dan, did you ever go? No? No? I see a couple hands. Justin in the back. We Every year, hundreds of people, young adults, would go into the mountains eagerly expecting community and to worship the Lord and to see what the Lord would do. Every year, hundreds of people would rededicate their lives to Christ to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, come into relationship with God. And so every year that we would make our journey, usually as in Woodland Park, Colorado, a couple hours away and we'd either I would either personally take the bus or ride up myself or ride up with other people and just this hope and expectation of what the Lord was going to do and this psalm psalm 24 is like that singing praises to God hopefully expecting what he is going to do so if you're not there already if you brought a bible or if you have it on your phone don't get distracted but turn to psalm 24 we're going to look and relook at this psalm and the first point this morning there's three points three motions of this psalm the first point is everything is the lord's so if you're taking notes point 1 everything is the lord's It starts off like this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. What a great way to start your morning, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I was thinking about this yesterday in preparation for this sermon, sitting outside, it's like 70 degrees in Manitou, just looking at the mountains and thinking in my head, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We are creationists. I think as Christians, we can't get around the fact that we believe in a creator. Let me get into some nerdy theological stuff. Is that good for some of you? Some of you like nerdy theological stuff. This is a nerd alert, and usually when I say nerd alert, you respond back, we've done this a couple times, with an alarm or an alert noise. Nerd alert. That gets weirder every time. Um, (laughs) So the nerd alert today is that we, I used to teach uh, college courses. I loved teaching college and I taught an introduction to theology, a systematic theology course. And we get to the part of creation. And I would argue that we are creationists. We can't get around that as Christians. We believe in a creator. And sure, maybe in this room, in the context of all Christianity, there's lots of discussion or debate about how old the earth is, how did God create, day age theories, gap theories. We can get into all these things about how the Lord created, but we are creationists. We can't get away from that fact. And we believe, listen to this, this will blow your mind. We believe that everything is either one of two things. Everything is either one of these two things. And things doesn't really use, it doesn't really do justice. And so in in this college classes, I would often use the word stuffs. We believe in two stuffs. And everybody would kind of giggle because it's not really a word. But we believe in two stuffs. Everything, this will blow your mind, is either God or God's creation. We are creation dualists. Everything fits into one of those two categories, God or God's creation. 
We are not, uh, this is part of the nerd alert, we are not creation monist, which means I think in some Hinduism uh, and that kind of Eastern philosophy, people believe in that religion that all is one and that they hope to just be uh, like a drop of water into the ocean of everything. That's, and we would say, whoa, we, we don't hold to that. We believe in a creator and he has created us and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And the same lane, uh, I guess in a different lane, the other, other side of that is creation pluralism. And uh, that would be like, there's a bunch of different gods and a bunch of their different creations. Uh, Mormonism is a type of creation pluralism. I'm not a Mormon basher. I have friends, good friends that are Mormons and respect them. And I respect them as just another religion. It's a completely other religion. Sure, there's some similarities between Mormonism and evangelical Christianity or Orthodox Christianity, but they believe in lots of different gods. They believe that the God they worship was once a human like us and that humans, if they're good Mormons, can become a God like the God they worship. And we would say, whoa, 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 that's just different than what we believe. We believe in God and his creation, and we are his creation. We can't become God, we worship him. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is huge, the world is huge. I came from a background of science, love science growing up. Anybody like science? Go science, (laughs) couple hands. I got my undergrad in biology and just always enjoyed science and, and thinking about how huge this universe is gives us a glimpse into how big God is. If the sun were here and it was the size of a basketball, I'd burn my hands off. But if it was the size of a basketball, the earth would be the size of like a little BB. You know how many BBs you can fit? How many earths you can fit in the sun? 1.3 million, in case you were wondering. How long does it take to count to 1.3 million BBs if you're like putting BBs in a basketball? It would take 12 continuous days of counting BBs out into a basketball. It's huge, like the, the, considering the earth and, and the sun and considering all the stars. When you look up, my son's favorite constellation is Orion because he, he could always see the three little stars in a row, Orion's belt. There's one star in Orion that's reddish. It's called Betelgeuse and it's a big star, and it's not the biggest star, but it's a big star. If Betelgeuse was in my hands the size of a basketball, I'd burn my hands off again, but if it was, then the sun to that star would be like a little BB, and so consider like how huge the world is. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and the world and all who live in it. Our God is a mighty God, and then this passage gets into talking about, for he founded on the waters, established it on the ocean. Who can... And then it gets into who could, who could go onto the mountain of the Lord. But it gets into this, this talk about the ocean and the sea and the Lord founding it on the seas. I'm reminded of Job chapter 38. When the Lord comes to Job, he reminds Job how huge he is. And he says, I, the Lord, I shut up the sea behind its doors. I fixed limits for it. I set its doors and bars in place and said, this far you may come and no further. This is where your proud waves halt. The earth is in charge. God is in charge of the earth and the waters and the universe. The Lord is huge. The Lord is mighty. He is the one who is in charge of it all. We see that here in Psalm 24. Psalm 24, this passage is quoted in the New Testament. In case you were curious, Paul quotes it 
when he's talking about going into the market and buying meat. In Paul's day, if you went to the market to buy meat, there was a very good chance that that meat was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul says, just just go ahead, buy the meat without thinking about your conscience. Because why? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And you can eat the food because it is all the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. This passage, before I go on to the next point, is a great encouragement to me that everything is on the same playing ground, that we are all like those who are following the Lord, those who are not following the Lord. The Lord is in charge of it all. The Lord is sovereign over all. He's sovereign over the good and the evil. He is sovereign over the things that happen on this earth. It gives me great encouragement and joy that he has got the whole world in his hands, as the song goes. He's got the whole world in his hands. Thank you. Cheryl, isn't that encouraging that the Lord has it all in his hands? And then it gets into this question. It's kind of this level playing ground. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're all a part of his creation. And then it asks this question, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? So this next point is back to you guys. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? You can ascend. I can ascend the mountain of the Lord. Here's what it says. This passage asks the question, who could ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands, pure heart, does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Seek your face, God of Jacob. So he's got the whole world in his hands. The earth and everything in the world is the Lord's. But there's some who could ascend the mountain of the Lord. There's some who can stand in his holy place. It's like asking the question, who can ascend the incline? Is anybody ever in here? Oh, look at all the hands. Look, if you raise your hand, if you've climbed the, oh, Aiden, Aiden, you've climbed the incline? Well done, little buddy. Uh, He's like, of course I have. Who could ascend the incline? Well, those that really, really want to ascend the incline. You have to really want. I've seen, uh, I've done the incline a lot. I've seen many people start the incline and many people turn around and just keep walking down the incline. You have to really want. On, on the other side, I've seen people at the top who are overweight. And it's like, wow, they must have really wanted to be up here. They're overweight and they really wanted it. I've seen with my own eyes a guy with one leg at the top of the incline. I've seen a picture of a guy with no legs and and just uh, like two kind of crutches and some prosthetic legs and he climbed the incline without any legs. Who can ascend the incline? Well, those that really, really want to and to take it up a notch. The highest mountain in the world, of course, is Mount Everest. Who can ascend Mount Everest? Well, it takes a whole nother breed of person, a whole nother amount of crazy. I think Tim, he he does a lot of mountaineering. He might consider it one day, but you have to be so fit. You have to really be into mountaineering. You have to have a lot of money disposable to go take two months off of work and try an expedition. And unfortunately, only like 60% of all expeditions just put one person from their expedition at the top, like 63% of Mount Everest expeditions. Who could ascend Mount Everest? Well, only the, the top, the top leading mountaineers of this age can climb the mountain and you have to have a lot of luck and good weather to ascend Mount Everest. And so we'll ask the question, who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Well, only those that really, really, really 
want to. Only those that are willing to pay the cost, the cost of holiness, the cost of those that, that really long for ascending the mountain of the Lord in this metaphor and standing in his holy place. And let me remind us, for those of you, maybe just tell us, for those of you new to church and, and wondering how salvation works, we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about earning salvation. Of course, plenty of prostitutes, thieves, murderers, corrupt people have found their way into salvation from the Lord, and it's his work inside of us that we are saved. But yet there's this place, if the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, there's those who could ascend the mountain of the Lord. There's those who can stand in his holy place. I have a quote by one of my professors at Fuller Seminary, kind of a leading theologian of the Old Testament. His name is John Golden Gay. I've got to meet him personally. And he says this in response to Psalm 24. He says, you can't expect to be involved in praise and worship unless you are living in a morally and religiously, in a morally and religious authentic way with other people and with Yahweh. You can't expect to stand on the mountain of the Lord. You can't expect to stand in a holy place without these things. And, and what are the things listed in this passage? Well, it's kind of five things, depending on how you count them. Clean hands, a pure heart, not trusting in an aisle, not swearing by a false god. And those who seek the face, who seek him, are the ones that can stand in the holy place, there is a cost involved with worship. Clean hands. I think about the, the phrase being caught red-handed. I think about uh, I have four little boys, and oftentimes there'll be some disaster, like a marker on the wall. And I'll say, boys, come in here. Who did the marker on the wall? And one of the boys will be holding a marker, marker all over his face and hands. He's like, did you do it? No, they did it. Like, no, you've been caught red-handed. You, you were the one who has been caught, and you need clean hands to ascend the mountain of the Lord. And yet even those with dirty hands can ascend the Lord if they have a pure heart. This next one. Who wrote this psalm? Do you know Psalm 24? It's a psalm of David. It is. David had a great track record with all kinds of things, and then he had a really horrible track record with a woman named Bathsheba and then killing her husband, Uriah the Hittite. And I found, I was reading this story through, through the, the Old Testament, and I realized just a couple, I guess it was a month ago, that Uriah was one of David's closest friends. He was one of David's mighty men. So David took Bathsheba and then had Uriah killed after he was with Bathsheba, and what a horror, I mean, talk about uh, unclean hands, talking about being caught red-handed, and yet David still had a pure heart before the Lord when he was confronted with his sin. What did he do? He repented and, and made himself low before the Lord and asked for forgiveness and wrote Psalm 51, which we will talk about another week from now, a couple weeks from now. But David had a pure heart. So as to ascend the mountain of the Lord, to stand in his holy place, clean hands and a pure heart, not trusting in an idol or swearing by a false god. These two things I think of like the little wooden or little golden idols, little silver idols in the Old Testament that for some reason people back then used to trust in. I don't think that's a part of our culture today. I don't know that people have little idols that they're bowing down and praying to. Maybe in other cultures, maybe, I guess, I don't know, maybe that's something uh, some of you are just thinking about or other religions, but I, I don't know that that's our, in our day and age the thing that secular people or just people in general run to are these little 
idols made out of silver or gold. I think people instead run to idols of self and self-ego. I think people run to happiness as morality. I think people run to like just whatever makes you happy. Let that be the guiding light. Let that be the guiding morality in your life. It's like, are you kidding? Like just whatever makes you happy. That's not like the Lord, he's in charge. And that uh, the, just being happy, I think, is one of the idols of our day. Money, ego, self, pre- presenting ourselves as something we're not, trusting in those things, those could be the idols of our day. Finally, it's, so those have clean hands, pure heart, do not trust in an idol, swear by a false God, and then those who seek his face and seek him, that I'm calling those things number five, those who seek him can ascend the mountain of the Lord and seek his face. I was at a, uh, a day retreat one time where we had to do this really weird thing. I'm really glad we did it in hindsight, but at the time it's just really weird. We, we were paired up with people, guys with guys, girls with girls, and we would sit down in chairs and move the chairs next to each other, sort of like knee to knee, and we just looked at each other for 60 seconds. The brutalist 60 seconds like staring into the eyes of a stranger while the stranger stares into your eyes 60 seconds seemed like three hours like it's still I still like have this picture of a guy named Trey just looking at him and he's looking at me and looking at each other we're not used to that looking each other in the eyes I think we're more used to looking at devices and computer screens and tv screens and just the awkwardness of actually looking at someone while they're looking to you and this is how we are to be with God looking into the face of God while God is looking into our face seeking his face we need to take off our masks we all wear masks of different kinds we need to take off our masks and then take off the mask that I think we often put upon God we put a mask on God and say, God, I I, I think I want to worship you like this or like that. I've heard the phrase, uh, especially amongst non-Christians of this phrase, people say, well, I don't want to worship a God who would blank, you know, fill in the blank. Like, I want to worship a God who is like this. And it's like, really? Like, you get to decide who God is? No, that's a form of idolatry. But those who seek his face will find that they are on the mountain of the Lord. Those who seek his face will find that they are in a holy place. And I'll say this, um, that we don't come to God in worship because we are flawless. We come to him because he is flawless. Point three, this last point is, it's all about God. Let's set aside that you were talking about kind of a, a moral a goodness to seek the face of Lord, to, to get close to him, to ascend his mountain. Let's leave that behind for a second. Let's leave ourselves behind. Just talk all about God. Point number three, it's all about God. Listen to these words. And you could tell that this is a song. We've, we have no idea what this tune sounded like. It's been lost in history many, many years ago. But you can tell that this is like a chorus being sung. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord of mighty. He is the king of glory. I think that this psalm, this part of the psalm, and some people say this whole psalm, might have been written, might have been sung when people were bringing the Ark of the Covenant 
up into Jerusalem through the gates and through the doors of the temple and returning to Jerusalem with this Ark of the Covenant. If you know about the story, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. It's the place where God had an earthly manifestation on this earth. And sometimes if you read 2 and 1 Samuel, people would bring the Ark of the Covenant out into the battlefield and the Lord would fight and the Lord would give grant them battle. And I think that that's why it's like the Lord mighty strong, the Lord mighty in battle. And so you're singing this song bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and let him in, like open up the gates, open up the doors. It's this imagination that there's heads, like usually doors and gates don't have heads, right? And yet this Psalm is saying, lift up your heads, like the head of the door, the head of the gate, lift them up, open them up, look alive, like the King of glory. He's coming in, he's coming into the temple, lift it up, come in, Lord, you are the one worthy and holy Come on in. I think about like uh, at, a, at a fancy place like uh, the Broadmoor or something. My wife and I got to stay there um, for our honeymoon. And there's like these guys with tuxedos and top hats and stuff. And they're standing at the door. Just their whole, only job is just to stand there and open up the door for you to come in. And I remember when our, our wedding day, we had a limo and the limo came in. And usually they don't let you by, beyond a certain gate. But we got to go beyond because it's like our wedding day. And we, had, we were in a limo. And so there's people running around lifting up the gates. And we get to drive in. There's people running up to our door to open up the limo door. And then there's the guys with the top hats opening up the door of the Broadmoor. And we go in as if we couldn't push the button of the elevator. Like people are running around pushing the elevator button for us and I think about like the the panic and the joy of like us coming like our, we, it was our wedding day Erica had her dress on I had my tux on it's like here's the couple we've been talking about it's their wedding day here they come like let's get ready open up the doors open get everything ready push the elevator button get it all ready and I think about that excitement here in this psalm that the gates and the doors they, they need to open up because the king of glory is coming in and who is this king of glory the Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. It asks this song, that asks this question in this psalm, who is the king of glory? I think about a, a sketch artist, a good sketch artist can take people's, they see someone doing something and then no pictures were taken and then they, they go around and interview people and say, well, what kind, what do they look like? And they kind of sketch something out and they, well, they have this kind of nose or this kind of nose or that kind of nose. Okay, they, they, they put things together and a good sketch artist will put together a face from what people think about, what they saw and what they say the person looked like. In this psalm, I think we put together what the Lord Almighty looks like because it asks the question, who is this king? Who's coming in? Why are the gates and the doors and the heads being lifted up? And why is everybody, it seems like every, everything's just all about this king. Who is this king coming in? It's the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the same one who in verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. This psalm is all about worship. Worship is the feeling, the expression of reverence and adoration, and that's what we get to do in here. That's what we get to do as we gather as a church every week. Let, this, let us all know that this is important. It's worth getting out of bed. It's worth getting the kids and all the shenanigans many of us have to do to, just to get here and be here. It's worth it because this is the time we have to worship the Lord Almighty. And who is this King of Glory? He's the Lord Almighty. He is the King of Glory. So as we conclude here, would you bow your heads? Would you consider that the Lord is here? Would you consider that it's all about him? 
And Lord, we say to you, we worship you. Lord, we worship you because the earth is yours and everything in it and the world and all who live in it. Lord, you founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. Lord, who can ascend? Who can be with you? That question is asked and Lord, it, it, the response is given, Lord, that, that, that we might, and Lord, we ask you by your help and by your shepherding and guiding us that, Lord, you might give us clean hands and a pure heart, that we might never lift our eyes to an idol, something else, or trust in a, a false God, but, Lord, we would seek your face and we would seek you. You are the God of the Old Testament, the God of Jacob. And, Lord, when we see you, Lord, may we be like the end of this psalm that just gets ready for you and, and lifts up our heads, lifts up the gates, runs around opening the, the ways and the doors for you to come in to our lives. Lord, you are the great king. You are the Lord of hosts, the prince of peace. And Lord, you're inviting us in to be with you. Lord, as we prepare for communion, Lord, we consider you this great king who is inviting us and letting us in. So Lord, we praise you. We worship you this morning. And God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna, we usually say a, a prayer together in unison. And I thought we would pray this prayer, Psalm 24, kind of going back and forth. We have no idea the tune of this psalm. It's been lost. We have no idea how it was broken up exactly. But I went through it this week and prayed through it and broke it up for us, kind of a reader and a congregation. So I'm gonna read the part that says reader and then you guys together in unison will read the part that says congregation. So it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world is all the living in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol swear by a false God, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord. 